Hello and welcome to the Gua Sha Show, helping you get the best results out of Gua Sha and Eastern medicine for the face and the body. I'm your host Clive Whitam, and every week we explore the world of Gua Sha to help you use and understand this great technique with research and stories and guests and useful tips. So let's get straight into this episode, and let's look at how scraping therapy is learned in East Asia. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Gua Sha Show. This is the end of season one, and I'll be back after a break with another 15 episodes in season two. Today we're having a look at how knowledge is passed down in a scraping technique used in Indonesia. So I was researching and reading some reports, and I thought it would be a great idea to tell you a little bit about Kerakan. This is the traditional indigenous scraping technique, which is used throughout Indonesia, but especially in Java. So although this features in only one country, the same pattern is present in many East Asian countries, which have their own version of scraping therapy, and which bears a lot of similarities with Gua Sha, China. So before we go into this though, let's just start with looking at how knowledge is gained, because scraping knowledge is passed down in a particular way, as is most indigenous health practices. So the way that it's passed down is in a certain type of knowledge called tacit knowledge. So basically, there's commonly thought to be two main types of knowledge, explicit knowledge and tacit knowledge. Now, explicit knowledge is one that can be articulated and recorded in written form. And because of this, it's easily transferable. It's like my Gua Sha books. If you want to know this knowledge, you just buy the books, you read them, and you gain the knowledge. So there's also an aspect of logical deduction and the result of practical experience. And this kind of knowledge is more likely to be more objective and logical and technical. Now, tacit knowledge is different from this. It's the knowledge which a person acquires from his or her personal experience and more likely to be subjective, cognitive and experiential. And it's more intimate than circumstantial. It often requires complete participation and cooperation in order to learn and is usually face-to-face interaction, apprenticeship and a mutual trust and understanding. Now I've got direct experience of this, and it was the same type of knowledge when I was an apprentice craftsman in Japan. And in order for me to learn how to work with wood, there were no books or instructions. Everything I needed to know was passed on to me via the master-apprentice relationship. And I didn't have a clue how to work with wood before I worked with Kashima-san. And this was when we were working on Yakusugi, which are cedar trees, which have this particular name because all of them are over a thousand years old. And it was a really special time for me to learn this because it's pretty much a dying profession. 
not only because the new generation have moved on, but the raw materials, these are the thousand-year-old tree trunks which are on the forest floor, are all but spent, and no new trees can be cut down. All of these trees were actually cut down hundreds of years ago, and this was what we were using as the raw materials for our work. So it was tacit knowledge, which was the kind of knowledge that was passed on to me and which was passed on from father to son within this Japanese family. And so this is the type of knowledge we're talking about when we're talking about Kerokan. And also this applies to Gua Sha and the many different types of Gua Sha that exist all around East Asia. So, with this tacit knowledge in our minds, let's turn to a recent report which looks at something specific with Kerokan. And it claims that almost everyone in Indonesia, especially in Java, is familiar with the traditional treatment methods of Kerokan. So, what is Kerokan? It's a familiar scraping technique which uses things like coins, onions, yes, yes, you heard right, I did say onions, and pieces of ginger to scrape mainly the back using olive oil, eucalyptus oil, coconut oil, or body lotion as lubrication. It's quite common to come across photos of Kerokan if you do an image search on the internet. They often show images of thin red char lines right across or down the back. Now directly next to the line there's a gap where there's been no scraping and then there's another line which runs parallel to it which has been scraped. So it's basically red lines which are all over the back and these red lines are because of how the coin is scraped along the skin within Karakan. It's a particular technique which is slightly different to some of the other techniques which exist in, the, in other East Asian countries. So although a mechanism of action is not usually known about traditional techniques, and Karakan is no different, in one study it suggested that only half of users could explain a mechanism of action of what happens when you do Karakan, such as increased circulation or body warmth or help in breathing. But there is a belief behind what's happening, and the belief is reported to be that wind enters into the human body from outside, and this can cause discomfort with symptoms such as cold, body aches, headache, and nausea. And it's believed that this can be caused by people doing things like bathing too long, consuming too much ice, being in the rain, eating late, or eating certain things. And in another report about Karakan, it talks about the general assumption that after Karakan treatment, the body will feel fresher, the pores will open, and the wind can be expelled easily. And also that the body feels light and relieved, the appetite increases, dizziness is relieved, pain is lessened, and belching improves. Presumably that's a good thing, this last one. So these are the general beliefs that are held by people who use Karakan. But let's have a look at a specific person in a specific village. And we can do this from a different report, which was an interview with someone called Mrs. Rakaya. Now, she is a resident in Pemalang village in central Java, and she explains how Karakan is learned in her village. 
So she explains that she first learnt it from her mother and that Karakhan had been practised by her ancestral family from generation to generation. She was taught at a very young age when she was in elementary school and she started treating others in the family when she was at junior high school. So junior high school would be somewhere about age 11 to 14. So she says that all the people in her village learned from a parent in the same way, with oral knowledge being passed from generation to generation. So she details the steps and techniques that she learned from her mother. And these are the steps that they feature. So first of all, you use a coin and she uses a thousand rupiah coin, which is the currency in Indonesia. Now, actually, before there was a preference for the old Dutch coins, which were heavier, but these have now been replaced by the rupiah. So copper coins are also very, very useful because it's believed that they can prevent tetanus from occurring and won't cause infections. And also the fact that they don't rust. So then balm is applied to the back with a light massage in order to prepare the skin and muscles for scraping. And then you pick up the coin and pinch it with your thumb and index finger and you start scraping from top to bottom on the right and left sides of the spine and then sideways on the left and right sides of the back. So you do this repeatedly until the skin is red or blackish and not over any bone. And the scraping pressure shouldn't be too strong or too weak. What does that really mean? I'm not sure. And the angle of the coin to the body is about 45 degrees. So when finished, you then apply the balm to the back using light massage again. So one of the fascinating things about this interview with Mrs. Rukaya is that she explains why she and the residents in her village like Karakhan. And she gives two reasons. So the first reason is that their parents taught them that they were not supposed to take medicine when they got a mild illness such as a cold. The idea was to take medicine as a last resort and it was only used if Karakhan didn't successfully stop the symptoms. And this is communicated as a saying and the saying is mild sickness do not take medicine. This is the translation of the saying. Now the second reason is the most interesting one and this is the connection she felt between her and her mother when they were doing Karakhan. So the feelings of affection and communication that she shared with her mother during Karakhan they weren't replicated by anything else in her life. It's described as an intimate moment between mother and daughter and one of the reasons for this is that while practicing Karakhan they were also chatting with each other. And this is an aspect of Karakhan but also Guasha that is often overlooked in the relationship between people who are receiving and people who are giving especially when they're within a home environment. And then Mrs. Rakaya describes how after she got married and had children, she taught her husband and children how to practice Karakhan. And she described scraping her four-year-old granddaughter for a cold and fever 
and she used a sliced onion, not a coin for scraping. And this is an example of choosing the right tool for the right situation. And it's thought that red onions are used because the oils contained are thought to prevent infection in the body. And burning the onion with a flame first is thought to bring out more of the essential oil. So it's a real shame that we don't have a lot more of how Karakan and how Gua Sha is passed down through ancestral lines. And the necessity of showing someone how to do it using tacit knowledge as opposed to just explicit knowledge. And it was interesting that the report which was featuring Mrs. Rakaya was stressing the fact that it wasn't a simple thing that she was doing. It was something that can't just be learnt quickly, but needed time and patience over many years to be used in such a way. So I hope I've shed a little bit of light on how Karakan is learnt in a traditional way in a village environment, which I think is applicable to um, the situation with Gua Sha. And if you've been listening to me for long enough or reading my material or taking my courses, you'll know that this is ultimately how I see Gua Sha to be within a home environment being passed down generation from generation, but not just within East Asia. So that's it for today. And this is the end of season one of the Gua Sha Show. Now I'm going to take a short break and then I'm going to come back with another 15 episodes of the Gua Sha Show. So until then, happy scraping. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can check out the show notes at clivewhittam.com slash Gua Sha Show. You'll also find loads of free videos and information. And if you need more help with Guasha, definitely check out my online courses at the Komorebi Institute. I'll include the link in the show notes too. Talk to you soon.